Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. Guess who's back? Yes, it's me. Did you miss me? I know that I have missed you guys so much these last three weeks now. Wait, maybe almost a month, right? Gosh, the time has gone by so fast. Our first order of business to deal with today is the cryptic prayer request that I gave you guys at the end of our last episode. And you know what? You guys are going to be so disappointed because I do not have an update for you right now like I said I would. Um, And I feel totally lame uh, for having to tell you that because you know that I... I'm all about full transparency and just being straightforward with you guys, but I'm not the one making the decisions here, so I don't have an answer yet. I'm so sorry. As soon as I have one, I will let you guys know, and I guess we can just take this as an opportunity to grow in patience, my least favorite virtue, but moving on to our next piece on the agenda is that I just wanted to let you know that our new little podcast, Clumsy Theosis, has around 44,000 listens. I mean, not bad for the new girl on the block after only six months. I mean, I know that's a crazy number, right? But I've been going over the stats and I, I just can't believe it myself. And you guys must be telling everyone that you know, including your mailman, like I suggested, because Clumsy Theosis is still growing like gangbusters, even over that time when I took off um, putting out new episodes. So yeah, it's wonderful and it's a testament to the Lord and his truth and what he wants to do through Clumsy Theosis as a podcast, us as a community. And yeah, it's, it's encouraging. And one final piece of business, I have received some concerned messages from you guys about whether or not this podcast will be canceled. And I just want to say bless you. Um, And I want to reassure you that this podcast won't disappear. um, And I won't disappear either. But like I said, there are changes coming. Hopefully, they're great changes. Um, Either way, we want the Lord's will, right? Or at least that's what I keep telling myself. Um, So let's just keep praying, praying for the Lord's will and um, for great graces and protection. All right, so in the meantime, let's just talk about some exciting Catholic topics. And today, that means we're going to talk about tradition. Yes, that was my homage to Fiddler on the Roof, uh, for those of you who caught it. Okay, so the thing about tradition in our faith is that there happens to be two different meanings for the same word. And that's because there's tradition with a capital T, and there's tradition with a lowercase t. Now, you most likely would not know that unless someone told you. And so I'm here to tell you, right? So what are these two definitions? Tradition with a capital T is a tradition or a teaching that was passed down from the apostles, right? The apostles received these teachings from Jesus or by divine revelation from the Holy Spirit, and they passed that instruction down, and then it got passed down again and again, right? Now, this tradition can be written tradition, like the scriptures, or it can be oral tradition. And we know that this was a thing even during the time of the apostles because in St. Paul's 
second letter to the Thessalonians, he writes, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Now, pressing home the importance of St. Paul's meaning here, St. John Chrysostom, he was an archbishop of Constantinople in the late 300s. He went on to explain this scripture verse by saying this, Hence it is manifest that the apostles did not deliver all things by epistle. That would be a letter, right? But many things were unwritten, and in the manner both the one and the other are worthy of credit. So things that were written down and things that were not written down, right? They're both worthy of credit. Therefore, let us think the tradition of the church also worthy of credit, right? So he's saying that tradition, things that aren't written down, are just as worthy as things that were written down. Now, when it comes to this lowercase t, tradition, that's going to be a human creation made to enrich our experience of our faith. Um, It's not just something that was just made just because someone felt like it. There was a purpose to it, right? And the purpose was to enrich our experience of our faith. But the Catechism tells us that this lowercase t tradition, now this can be a tradition that is theological, disciplinary, liturgical, or devotional. Now, all of which have been developed over time, right? Um, But because they are a lowercase t tradition, they can change. They can be modified or they can be abandoned altogether at any time. And a prime example of this lowercase t tradition is your Advent wreath. I mean, I knew that it was a lowercase t tradition, but I was kind of blown away when I realized that this didn't come into liturgical use until the late 1920s, 1930s. That's super recent, and they're so popular. They're in like every American church. I mean, that's insane how like quickly it was like adopted and it's just everywhere. All right, so why is it important for us to make this distinction between the capital T tradition and the lowercase t tradition? Like what's, what's the big deal? So in the 300s, St. Basil, who is sometimes called Basil the Great, he was a bishop of a place in Cappadocia. And when he was commenting on the Holy Spirit, he said this, of the beliefs and practices, right, that's going to refer to tradition, of the beliefs and practices, whether generally accepted or publicly enjoined, which are preserved in the church, some we possess derived from written teaching, Others we have received delivered to us in a mystery by the traditions of the apostles and both of these in relation to true religion have the same force. Okay, that last part right there where he says others we have received delivered to us in a mystery. What is he talking about when he's saying in a mystery? So the Greek word here would have been um, musterion, which loosely means like a secret that's been revealed. Now, this secret that's been revealed, who's it being revealed by? The Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit is giving this teaching authority because it's coming from God, right? So these oral traditions, which have been given to us in a, as a secret revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles, they have the same force as anything that the Holy Spirit has given to the apostles to write down, right? So oral and written tradition tradition with a capital T, they're equal and they hold the same weight. You may have heard of the deposit of faith or you may not have, right? Um, But what the deposit of faith is, it's going to be scripture and tradition. But in this sense, it's capital T tradition, right? And Catholicism is grounded in the deposit of faith, meaning Catholicism is grounded in scripture and in capital T tradition. So 
anything that was handed down from the apostles who got it from Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I've always been fascinated by oral tradition. And I've always thought that there must be something a little bit more to oral tradition rather than just the obvious pragmatic reasons, right? Like reasons such as like they didn't write everything down, one, because they didn't have time, or two, because they just didn't want to write everything down, or the materials weren't available. Um, Or another reason would be that the epistles that we have, the letters, they're written to churches and they're usually addressing something specific to that church. And so there were no churches that had to know some main teachings in Catholic theology, which to me never really made sense. And so I've always wondered, yeah, there has to be something else going on here. Like there has to be a bigger picture other than like the most obvious practical reasons as to why not everything was written down. So St. Cyril of Jerusalem, another bishop from, you guessed it, Jerusalem, and this is also during the late 300s, he makes me think that my suspicions are correct and that there is a bit more to oral tradition than just the regular practical, pragmatic reasoning that we might come up with. So he's encouraging his congregation um, in somewhat of a homily, and he's teaching them about faith. And this is what he says to them. I wish you both to commit to memory what I recite to you and to rehearse it with all diligence among yourselves, not writing it out on paper, but engraving it by the memory upon your heart. Let me go over that last part one more time. Not writing it out on paper, but engraving it by the memory upon your heart. See what I mean? Like there's obviously something going on here where he thinks that it's more important for them to not write down these teachings that he's going to give them, but instead to hold them in the safety of their hearts, right? And you know what? St. Basil, he confirms this for me. In his writing on the Holy Spirit, there's a chapter in which he's mostly talking about oral tradition, and he spends most of it going over the sacraments and how the specific words used by the priests were passed down orally to him. And this would have been like in like the mid-300s as he had learned them from his successor and has how his successor had learned them from his successor and so on and so on, back to the apostles. And he goes on to even mention the Levite priests in Judaism and how they were the only ones to know specific rituals because of the sacred nature of what their station as priests was created for them to perform, right? So he links, you know, the, the priestly role of the Levites to that of the apostles. And this is what he says. He says, um, Well have they learned the lesson that the dignity of the mystery is best preserved by silence, right? And then this is the kicker right here. He says that the reason for us having oral tradition is so that, and I quote, the knowledge of our dogma may not become neglected and contempted by the multitude through familiarity. Like just let that sit in for just a minute. Oh my gosh, like, dude, I absolutely love that. So like the more familiar that we are with something, the more commonplace it seems, like the more regular. And in the case of the mysteries of our faith, how easy does it become for us to overlook their power and the majesty from which they come? I mean, I'm guilty of this for sure. And having my suspicions confirmed um, by these great fathers of our church was a total kick in the behind. And it's given me 
a renewed sense of appreciation of the reverence that I should have for the sacraments, especially the one that I encounter most frequently, right? The blessed sacrament, Jesus himself in the Eucharist. I mean, again, think about that for a moment. I mean, Jesus is there available to us under the presence of bread and wine. And I encounter this every day at daily mass, but sometimes, you know, it's just the familiarity. I'm not connected the way that I should be. And you know, the liturgy, like the mass, it can be found in scripture in the synoptic gospels and in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But what we find here, it's so minimal, right? And that's on purpose. Like there's not a lot of detail and information. Why? Because we don't need to know all of that detail and that information. The priest, the man in persona Christi, he's the one who needs to know that, not us. Why is that? Because he's the one who's actually celebrating the sacrament and with the cooperation of the Holy Spirit, making Jesus present in the wine and in the bread. Now, in in the very early days of Christianity, I mean, once people started hearing whispers about these groups of Christians who were doing all of these things that seemed like really odd to them when they would gather together, you know, they heard about them eating flesh and drinking the blood of this man named Jesus. And so they were, the Christians were being accused of cannibalism and they were like, what is going on here? And so uh, next to these mentions in scripture about the Eucharistic meal, um, among the very first explanations that we're going to find outside of scripture, um, of the Eucharist, they came from the Apology of Justin Martyr. And that just means that um, an apology is an explanation or a defense by this man named Justin. His last name is not Martyr. We just call him that because he was martyred. And in this apology that he writes, he's explaining um, what Christians believed and how they lived out their beliefs in the liturgy in their worship, right? Because all of these rumors were going around and people were like, you know, getting all weird about Christians. And he was like, no, that's not it. And this is exactly what we're doing. This wasn't until the late 150s. And even then, the prayers and the words that the priests pray, they're not completely available because they were so sacred that they needed to be kept safe in order to protect the sacrament because it is that precious. Now, with my newfound appreciation after reading these writings, I feel compelled to pray daily for the Holy Spirit to increase my fervor, adoration, and gratitude for the sacrament that He has safeguarded so that I may take, eat, and benefit beyond my understanding from it. And I invite you to do the same thing with me this week and let me know how it goes like throughout the week and afterwards, like what is your Eucharistic experience after that? Um, and don't stop after a week. I mean, I'm not going to, um, but yeah, that's it. And you can let me know um, via Instagram. You can private message me. That's usually the easiest way to get in contact with me. Or if you must, you can email me at clumsytheosis at catholic.com and the Instagram is at clumsytheosis. All right. So I'm wondering if you liked this episode, I would really like to know, and I think the people that follow you online would like to know as well. So here's what we're going to do. Take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening to this episode and post it on your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you're using, post it anywhere and everywhere, um, because we need more people to be a part of our Clumsy Theosis community, because that just means that there will be more awesome, creative, and authentic people out there transforming the world by transforming themselves. 
And lastly, do not forget to subscribe. I mean, that is essential. Subscribe wherever good podcasts are found. And like I said, follow me on Instagram. Get in touch with me at Clumsy Theosis. All right, everybody, until next week, peace out. Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.